Good morning, everyone. If I can watch the volume on this machine here. First of all, as we begin this morning, let's be turning to 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I just want to begin by, even though he's not here right now, saying thanks to Jeff for filling in last week. It's always a joy to be able to have a team mentality to be surrounded by a group of people, whether they're on staff or not, because some are on staff and some are not, whom God has given the leading and the gifting and the anointing of teacher to the church, to minister to the church and to mature the church and to protect and provide for the church. And so thank you to Jeff. If he comes in here, just let him know that I, in fact, did say thanks for that. This morning we continue in our study of the first letter of John and as I begin this morning or continue this morning just want to re-emphasize an overview understanding of at least what we are coming to in this study when you approach the letter of John and maybe this applies to several different areas of uh, the letters and the uh, various parts of the Bible but the Bible the Word of God is a multifaceted presentation of who God is it's not just a linear thing there's just so much to it and so in looking at this letter just felt to be emphasizing the fellowship that the church is to be experiencing and expressing as one of the primary ways of God communicating himself not only to us, but to the world. And so each of these lessons is going to be impacting or having something to do with that fellowship. And some of you have been here the whole time, you remember, and I'm not going to redo it today, what that fellowship is. But primarily, and we'll reiterate a little bit of this this morning, the fellowship that we are talking about, that we believe the Bible talks about, is essentially the fellowship that exists within the community of God himself. The fellowship between the Father and the Son by the Spirit. And if we don't see that, if we don't understand that, if we don't come from that perspective, if we don't have that motivation, I believe that we are missing primarily what God is doing and wants to do in our lives. Not just that he has created us to have fellowship with one another and kind of love one another and serve one another and be nice to one another and walk together. That's not the issue. The issue is that in this community of the church, God has brought about the greatest revelation that we can have. And what is that? That our God is not a single person God that he is a tri-person God, each person of the Trinity, being fully sharing of and participating in the full nature of God, but each person being fully God in himself, but not by himself. So in the one being of God, there are three persons, three distinct and divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that community of persons fellowships together relations together and has roles 
that caused God to be a fellowshipping community within himself. That is what God is after in displaying himself to us and through us to the world. That the world may know that our God is peculiar and absolutely distinct from every other God that man has created. That he is a triunity, three persons, a community. And that these persons of God are in continual, eternal fellowship of love among one another. So that's what John is emphasizing. And everything we'll be talking about has to do with that fellowship. So remember last week's <clears throat> lesson, John was talking about some hindrances, remember, to that fellowship. And if you look at the last verse of chapter 2, you'll see John is concluding and he says, everyone who practices un Everyone who practices righteousness, remember God is righteous. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him, has been born of God. And so John is ready to continue that thought of being born of God. But just all of a sudden, before he continues it, it's as if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him and just lets off a bomb of praise an explosion of praise in John. So for the next three verses, John goes into this great praise of what it means to be in fellowship with God, to experience the love of God. And then after he has stated this, after he has exclaimed this great praise of God in these first three verses of John, then he continues his thought so the thought is from the last verse of chapter 2, he picks up the thought, continues it in verse 4 of chapter 3. But this morning we want to look at this exclamation that God gives to John. An exclamation that each one of us should be experiencing from time to time as we contemplate, as we think about, as we look at, as we consider what God has done in our lives through the gospel. So let's go into this this morning. Father, <clears throat> what an astounding, astounding God you are. Father, we pray that this morning, as every morning we gather around your word, that we will come out of this time knowing you more personally, more intimately, more deeply, and expressing you more clearly, more consistently, more forcibly. Father, thank you for this. Father, you have taken us from the lowest place of all, and you have brought us to the very highest place. Father, thank you for this, as this morning we just look at and listen to and examine and hopefully experience ourselves what john says this morning in jesus name amen <clears throat> i think that as john is either writing or dictating this letter and it probably is dictating it but whatever chapter two and he says you know everyone who practices righteousness has been born of god and all of a sudden as i said i think the holy spirit slammed into him so he stops for a moment and the first thing he says see 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 he just stops see look 
examine, contemplate. You see, he stops and asks us to look for a moment and consider the most astonishing reality and result of the fellowship of God's love for us. See, let's stop before I go into the rest of the teaching because I want to make sure that you are seeing and experiencing what I am seeing and experiencing. Because remember, he wants to build up the church. He wants to encourage the church. And so it's appropriate sometimes when we're sharing something about ourselves or the gospel, whatever, whatever, it's all right sometimes just to stop in your tracks and share something that God may have dropped in your heart at that moment for that person or for those people. You see, and John now is going to share two astonishing facts about God's love for us. And as we look at this, here is the danger. Here is the danger. We have read verses like this, and we have been, most of us, in church long enough that when we read these kinds of verses, they don't have the impact in our lives that they should continually have every time we read them. Every time we hear the gospel, every time we listen to the word, every time we hear the word, we read the word, every time God is communicating something to us, even if we have heard it 7,000 times yesterday, it should have significant, astonishing, and life-changing experience for us. It should be that. And if you and I or those who are looking at the Word and are traveling through it and reading it consistently, and we are not having bombs go off in our hearts. I don't mean just everything, but, you know, just illumination and understanding. And we're feeling and we're being gripped by and we're, being, we're just getting a fellowship with God on a regular basis. If that's not happening, I think we need to go back to God and ask him to do a work in us that needs to be done because this word is just not for a cognitive intellectual illustration. This is for our life. This is our life because God wants us to experience the very excitement that he has within himself so that we also will be excited with the excitement that he has in himself about himself. He's drawing us into that very atmosphere of exciting living do you see this so let's look this morning at something we've heard 20 dozen times <clears throat> he first of all he says this see what kind of love God loves us amen brother God loves us now what else you got okay sound thank you God loves us. okay fine we, uh, we love God yeah bye. and we move along just those words see what kind of love just those words are astounding and should be earth-shattering for our minds and hearts and i need to move along on this <clears throat> you see this is not just any love this is the very love that exists within the Trinity. This is not a love. May I repeat that? Now listen to me clearly this morning. This is not a love that is found indigenous to people. 
It is not the kind of love between a husband and wife, although that is an inkling of it. It is not the kind of love that we have within the world system. It is not the kind of love that any of us is any way capable of having or experiencing or expressing within ourselves apart from being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit of God's love. This is the most peculiar and particular kind of love. What kind of love is it? What kind of love is it? It is the very love that exists within God himself. It is the love most, most specifically, it is the love most specifically between the Father and the Son. It is most specifically that love that is being revealed. Why? Because it is that love that we see active and demonstrated and explained most clearly in the Bible. This is God's purpose and passion. You see, this is why we were saved. That we who were his enemies have now become partakers of the divine nature, the very nature of God himself. That God would bring us into the very fellowshipping of the love that he enjoys within himself. <clears throat> you see, it's astounding enough to know that God forgives us. But you see, how many of us have had this experience either for us or we've done it to others. I forgive the person, but I really don't want to get too involved with that person again. Anybody ever had this one way or the other? Look, I'll forgive the person, but I really don't want to be too involved with the person. Anybody feels like that? I'll forgive, but I don't want to be too involved with you again because, you know, you've hurt me. You've disappointed. You've said this. And yet, listen to me, that is not the nature of forgiveness. If your heart still says, I don't want to become involved, or I still you know, am, am keeping you at arm's length, you have not forgiven as God has forgiven us. And you are denying the revelation of the love of God at the cost of your own personal selfishness. So let me encourage us today that if you've been hurt, Many of us have been deeply hurt. If you've been harmed, if you've been vilified, if you've been whatever, by whoever, for whatever, whenever, however, in order to be participating in the fellowship of God's love, we have experienced the most radical activity of God in our lives, and we are to express that. Don't let the devil keep the rich fellowship of God out of your life anymore. What kind of love is this? That we who were enemies not only have been forgiven, but have been forgiven and brought into the very heart of God himself. Let's make sure this is a prayer issue in our lives this morning. <coughs> that we would enjoy and experience the very same love that exists between the Father and the Son. See, this is Jesus' prayer. Remember in John 17, 26, the last verse of that particular prayer. That the love, he's talking to the Father. Father, that the love which you have, with which you have loved me may be in them. We need to think about this and contemplate it. Every time we hear the Bible talk about loving one another, God's love, our love for God, it's this love. 
It is this love of the Father for the Son and the reciprocal love of the Son for the Father. It is this activity of fellowship within God that he has given to us. Paul prays that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. If you don't know what that is, listen to Frank pray. And uh, sometime or another, anytime when you hear Frank pray, those words will come into that prayer. Some kind of way, Frank will get those words into the prayer. So you just have to read it and find out what it is to be identifying it. If you're not careful, you'll think Frank wrote it, but no, Frank didn't write it. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote it. Yeah, this is one of Frank's favorite prayers. Am I right, Frank, wherever you are? You see, this is the love that is at the very heart of the fellowship of God, the Father and the Son. Okay, see what love. What's the second thing he's told us? Not only see what love, but see what love who? You see, we can be loved, and being loved by someone may not seem astounding to us, but we are the rich recipients of the one we have rejected the most. See what love who? The Father has bestowed upon us. The word bestowed means lavished. It means that word prodigal. It means absolutely rushing in and pouring out without any hesitation or any concern about it's just giving you the whole thing. It's not a dribble. It is a just emptying, if you would, of the bucket of God's love upon us. See what love, what? The Father has given us. This is the love, as I said, that the Father has given to us. That who has given to us? The Father. Who? The Father. You see, just this sentence should startle us. The, 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 it did the, in Jesus' day. You remember the Jews? You remember one of the reasons why Jews, the Jews picked up stones and didn't like what Jesus was staying, saying and accused him of heresy? Because he was referencing God as Father. Now, that, that's a Jewish concept, <coughs> that God is the, gen, the Father generally of the nation of Israel. Okay, we have that in Isaiah. We know that. But the, no Jew would have said anything about God being my father. It would have been, yeah, God is the father of the nation. But that's about as intimate as they would have made it. They would not have brought it down to a personal relational activity. And here comes Jesus. And his favorite term for God is father. In fact, the word father is no longer a title. It is a very name. It, it describes the very relationship and role between the son and the father. Now it has become a name. To call me a father is a title, but to call God father is a name. It is one of the names of God. Son is now one of the appellations or designations of this person of the Godhead with whom God relates as father. You see, there was not a more intimate term that could be used to describe the relationship with God than Father. Just not a more intimate term. It was Jesus' favorite name. And I was going to count them out, but I stopped because it is a whole lot. What you ought to do, or what somebody may want to do in here, is take the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and count how many times Jesus uses the term Father in relation to God. And I'll give you a hint. How do you know the difference? Because, because the word Father will be capitalized in your Bible. Hopefully they're still doing that. You see, the Father shares with us. The Father shares with us, gives to us, causes us to experience the very love that he has for the Son 
now declaring us to be his sons in Christ. This is the kind of fellowship that we have with God. This is the kind of fellowship that we have with one another as a result. You see, we were predestined to adoption. Do you know what that means? The goal of the incarnation was to cause us to be able to be adopted by God. God created us to be in the most intimate relationship with him and in within ourselves individually and corporately as a community to express who he is, to image him, to image the fellowship of the Godhead. And so because of the fall, the incarnation, Jesus takes on bodily form and goes to the cross, is raised from the dead, ascends, and sends the Holy Spirit. And what is God's purpose? Is that he would bring us back to his original intention. And how does he do it? He does it through adopting us, bringing us into this family of love. So what does it mean? See what love the Father has bestowed upon us. But what does that love look like? The love and the Father. What has he bestowed upon us? How is that love functioning, functioning in us? How is it practically displayed in our lives? Well, he tells you at the end of the sentence, what does he say? See what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we. Can you get the word we? That we. Can you look at yourself and remind yourself, and I, as I remind myself, who I was? That we. Remember in Ephesians 2, 3, children of wrath, enemies, ungodly, weak, sinners. Do you remember some of those terms in Romans chapter th uh, 3, uh, 5 rather, verses 6, 8, and 10? Do you remember some of these terms? That we, we what? That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. This is the highest call. This is the highest place for us to be. The highest place. I don't know what's happening in all our lives. And I know that all of us are experiencing various levels of activity and various levels of good times, as we call it, and bad times and difficult and ease and, and all of that. You know, life is like a tsunami sometimes. <laughs> Earthquakes go off and, th and then it's smooth and then there's a hurricane. But through it all, there is this revelation that should steady us and get us through all of it safely. And what is it? <clears throat> See what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. That should settle us. That should settle any reason why we would not forgive another child of God. That should settle any reason why we should not embrace as a brother or a sister, another child of God, as God embraces us. It is a high, high insult, and I believe a great dishonoring of God as believers not to forgive and embrace one another as God has done us. If there is another believer in your life that you have not forgiven and embraced, the same way God has forgiven and embraced us. This, I believe, is a high crime. This, I believe, is worse to God than what the, the homosexuals out there, you know how all this homophobia now, and we, they had the gays in town and all the people, you know, so many of the people carry these, 
these, you know, God hates homophobia and all that. And it's like, no, the problem is that we are the ones who are displaying God in a very wrong way. Not the sinners in the world. We are the ones. We are the ones whom God has the biggest difficulty with when we're not actively enjoying and sharing and participating in that which he has given us at the highest cost of the death of his own son. There are relational problems in this church. There are relational strains in this church and from this church to other members of the body of Christ. There are relational difficulties. <laughs> I, I meet many, many, many times a week about these difficulties. People come in. The bottom line is what? We have experienced the forgiveness of God to make us children, to embrace us into the very heart of God. And how dare we under any circumstance and for any reason say no to another person in the same church or in the same body of Christ. How dare we do that? It's a high crime against God, I believe. The children of God, having told us that the love of God that the love that God has within himself has been given to us. It's been given to us. John now describes the amazing result for us and for God. The amazing result. How many of us normally when we read that word, the love of uh, the children of God, how many of us think mostly about the result for us? Now, come on, be, be, be clear. Come on, let's be, come on. How many of us think mostly children of God and we're thinking mostly about ourselves? It's mostly about God. Come on, church. Come on, come on, come on. Let's do it together. It's mostly about whom? God. You see, I have grandchildren. And, and my grandchildren see me, hey, hi, Papa, or whatever. But the greatest joy is on my side for them. My love for them, not theirs for me. Any parents in here, you've seen that in your own lives? Any grandparents, you've seen that? Where's the greater joy and the greater love? Where? In the children or in the parent? It's in the mom and them. It's in us. You see, the, the greatest benefit, the greater benefit between God and us is God. So when we see the children of God, let's not primarily focus on something that I have, who I am. Let's first primarily and foundationally focus on whose I am so that then I can appropriately and correctly say and understand and function in the who I am. But it's the whose I am is radically the mind-blowing thing, as Keith says, the mind-blowing thing. It's God who is the great benefactor, the beneficiary of this. God has taken us to himself as a very children. Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 1, 9. For God is faithful by whom we have been called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That we've been called into the fellowship of his Son. You see, because God is a family within himself, a community, a family. He has included us into his family by adoption. Remember what Ephesians chapter 1, the last part of verse 4, and then verse 5 says, in love talking about God the Father. God the Father has predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who pays for the adoption 
at the cross and then the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the good of the adoption papers if you would to us in which he signs it in our hearts giving us a new relationship with God no longer adversarial but a new relationship as God's children <clears throat> you see God doesn't just love us afar off he loves us up close as his children God doesn't <coughs> just forgive us as we said he forgives us and he gets right into our face and gets right into our very lives on a on an intimate and continual basis God is involved with us God is the quintessential family man if you would allow me to say that the quintessential family man see this is the closest love that we can experience every other love of humans to humans breaks down and has barriers and has a place where it cannot go but this love is not only what we experience it's creating us to be people of love it's recreating us by the love of God into the love of God so that we are becoming love in itself as we participate in the nature of God as we partake of his very nature of love we are being reformed as people of love of God's love it's the closest we can experience we are brought into the fellowship of God so the father relates to us as his children and we relate to him as the son relates to him so as the father loves the son the father loves us and as the son receives that love of God and responds to it in respecting God and in obeying God and doing what God desires to do out of joy this is the kind of love that God has given to us this is what God wants us to experience. You see, this is the reason why it is so critical to be an obedient people. This is the reason why sin is so dastardly. It's not so much that, oh, it's not good for you and you shouldn't do it. Why? Because God said so. Because it strikes. It strikes at the revelation of the very heart of who God is within himself. And for us to do something out of selfishness for sinful purposes unrighteously and to act in any way apart from this love is a dastardly deed. So as we live our lives, and John will begin to talk about obedience and sin a little bit later, but just to whet your appetite, why is it so utterly long and incomprehensible that we, we should continue to sin. We know we're forgiven, but how can we, how can we continue to sin? You see what sin is? It's a statement that God the Son and God the Father relate in a sinful way when we're sinning. That something that the Father does and reciprocatingly the Son does something out of a selfish personal me motive that's what is being said when I sin when you sin it's of the highest rank 
of pride. This is the problem with sin. We're saying something very wrong about God. See, this is why, this is why. Well, let me, let me continue with verse 1. Such we are, remember? And then look how we conclude verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. That word is epinosis. It means, again, to have a relation with, to know through a knowledge but a personal experience, that coming to become one. The world doesn't know us. Why? Why are we so strange to the world? Before I say anything else, maybe we need to ask this. Are we not strange enough to the world? See, look at what the world sees when it sees the church nowadays. Too often it sees people doing and going and culturalizing in the very same way as everybody else does. We all like to dance, we all like our drink. We all like the same movies. We all like to wear the same thing. We all like the same piercings. We all like the same stuff. We all like it. We're all together in this. I mean, if you lined up most believers and most unbelievers in the world, you could not tell the difference in a whole lot of the major, important, fundamental ways that we are to live, church. Why does John have said in John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, don't love the world? Don't be giving to the world the same affection that God has given to us because it is the world that has crucified the Lord of glory and yet we as churches go after the things and the ways of the world as if we didn't have them. We are missing out on what real life is. Don't be deceived. We are to not to live as the rest of the world does. I don't give a good damn how much the rest of the world says we got to have a cocktail before we eat dinner tonight. What is this, church? That we should wear the same kinds of things the world wears because it says this is what's important. What is this? Who are we? Who are we? Are we the peculiar people of God? The church doesn't, the world doesn't know Christ. It rejects him. It spits on him. It crucifies him. And yet, too often today, the church is the friend of the world, living too much just like the world lives. I said I wasn't going to get into this, so I'll move along. See, our relationship with the world is to be reflecting the light of God into its darkness, not participating in the activities of much of its darkness. We don't have to act and be like the world. We have to act and be like Christ so that when we walk into the darkness of the world, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines into their darkness, penetrating their hearts and leading them to Christ. Do you believe that? Or do we believe that we have to kind of shuffle along and kind of do some stuff so the world will be accepting of us and that will be okay and then we can minister? No, we minister through righteousness. 
Verse 2, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. <clears throat> John knows that the church must be anchored in the truth of their adoption. We must be anchored in this truth. When are we going to be children of God? See, I even said it wrong. I did it that purposely. When are we going to be children of God? We're not. We are now. When? Children of God. Begin to know first whose you are, the Father. It's whose you are first. Now that I know whose I am, now I can begin to say, who am I or what's going on in me or who is living in me, who I am in Christ is a favorite way of people putting it. Who am I? Who are you? We're God's children. We're God's children. We're his personal possession. We're the ones upon whom the whole issue and force and power and joy and peace of God's love has been poured. We are those people. See, John knows that the church must be anchored in this truth of adoption in order to effectively walk in fellowship, in the fellowship of God among one another. We must know whose we are and who we are in Christ. We must know this so that when the waves and the winds of the world come against us, we are not going to be thrown overboard by things that are going on in my life or maybe I had a sin issue or maybe I didn't say that right or whatever. We are not going to be thrown overboard in this boat because we are in Christ, locked down, safe and secure forever. And as long as Jesus Christ stands before God the Father as a man, we are kept secure in Him. Can we be anchored in this? So that as we are anchored, we may get blown about, and we're going to get blown about, and we're going to get dirt in our eyes, and we're going to get our hair messed up, and we're going to whatever, but we will not be uprooted. Can somebody say amen? amen? Let us not be uprooted people, because God is not going to allow us to be uprooted. You see, he is not going to lose one of his children. He simply is not. You see, such knowledge is critical. These are critical truths for our assurance, our stability, our encouragement, and our maturity. So John is hammering home. We're children of God. We're children of God. This is the reason why the world doesn't know him. It didn't know us. It didn't know him. Now, today, church, he says, you're the children of God. And what we will become has not yet appeared. So he's saying, now we're children of God. This is what Paul says in remember, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17, we're a new creation. We're not the same. We're brand new. We're brand new. We're those who are no longer under God's wrath and judgment. What does Romans 8, 1 says? There is therefore, there is therefore what? There is therefore what? If, if you can't say now with any more gusto on that, I mean, if the saints win tomorrow night, we're going to have a whole lot of gusto. There is therefore, thank you. You'd be surprised how many of us don't get that when the things of life are going wrong. Diane, when are you, when are you a child of God? When is there no condemnation for you? Now. It's not that I'm going to be a child of God when I get to heaven. I am as much a child of God today as I ever will be in eternity. I'm not more today and less then or less now or more then. I am as much a child today as I ever, 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 ever will be. 
It's not that when we get to heaven, all of a sudden we're going to get stuff. We have it all now. It's just going to come in fullness. There is therefore now no condemnation. How much? How much? No. That's right. No condemnation. But we know that when he appears, we know that when Christ appears, verse 2, he shall, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When he appears, we shall be like him. You know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? When Christ appears, we're going to get what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, a new body. Now think of it. A new body. But not just any new body. We're going to get a body like his. What kind of a body does he have? When you read Revelation, you'll see John falling down at Jesus' feet as a dead man. He sees this man, splendor, glorious, shining, brilliant. This man that, oh my word, who, ah, now let me sink to the bottom here. That's the kind of body we're going to have. That's what the Bible says. We're going to have a body after the similitude of Christ himself. So Paul says this vile body will be exchanged for his kind of body. We're going to have bodies that if somebody walked in here with that heavenly body, it would literally, it really would, it would knock all of us to the ground because of its brilliance, because of its heavenliness, because of its incredible, astonishing glory. It would be a body that if we saw it in the natural, it would knock the breath out of our chest. This is what we are going to have. This is what we're going to have. We're going to be changed. We're being changed right now into the moral, moral correspondence with Christ. The change on the inside is happening today. But on that day, the change on the inside will have been brought to completion as we receive the exterior change so that the exterior body look will be indicative of what's going on and has been completed on the inside so that the inside and the outside are now in agreement. Don't you see? It's that kind of a thing. So I won't go back to my notes. I'll just read the last verse. What does it say? And everyone who has this what? What, this what? Hope. What does he do? Purifies himself even as he himself is pure. You see, John is concerned that not only that we experience the fellowship of God, but that we express it. And to express it, we first must experience it, and then in expressing it, we have to live lives that are not filled with sin. And he'll talk about that, and disobedience. And so how am I matured? How am I built up on the inside? How is sin being overcome in me? 
How am I being brought to a place of being motivated more and empowered more to say no to that which denies the glory of God called sin? As I look to him, what does Hebrews 12, 2 say? Looking off to Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy of this day. Things are going on in our lives. Stuff's happening every day. Look to him. I'll share with you what I shared with someone in the office the other day. This particular person was a Christian person, was battling depression, you know, just feeling down. Anybody ever feel down? How many of you ever felt down, you know, whatever? You may not call it depression, but, you know, life will beat you down, amen? So let me ask you some questions that I asked this person. And write on your notes the answers. Write on your notes the answers. This is what the Lord gave me to ask this person. The person was downcast. Things were just difficult. Problems. I mean, this person has had years of family problems. This is not the first time I met with this person. So here's what I'm going to say. May I use the pronoun she, or would you rather me say he? So it confuses you as to what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll use she. You said whatever, I'll use she. Thank you. So I asked her this. I said, did you wake up this morning? And you answered the question for yourself. Just put yes or no on your sheet. Did you wake up this morning? Did you open your eyes this morning? Could you see? Were you breathing on your own? Did you get out of bed? Could you move and get out of bed? Could you stand under your own power? Were you able to go potty? <laughs> it's a natural part of life. I mean, any of us don't do that in the morning. <laughs> Stay away from that person. Did, were you able to go potty? Did you have clothes to put on? You may write yes or no on your sheet. Did you eat breakfast? I could go on and on. Every one of these is a clear and compelling revelation of God's love and care for us. These are evidences of grace, yet we miss it every day. These are evidences that our God loves us and that he's coming back. Keep an eye on Christ. When things are not going right, say, Jesus, thank you for seeing Thank you for breathing. Thank you for walking. Thank you for a myriad of things. And as we keep our eyes on him, he's going to, by his spirit, begin to flush out of us all that is antithetical to himself and build in us all that is true of the fellowship that he has within himself. Amen. Next week, we'll continue with 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 and following. Now, I don't remember where we'll stop, but some of you have an outline. Thank you so much for coming. Come back next week.